I've seen that probably a dozen times now. It gets me every time. Max, Ruthie, are they here in this service? No? Give me one. Okay, maybe next, maybe next service uh, we'll be able to see them. That is what we are about as a church. You want to know who we are at ABF? That's it. Getting close, actually, to one of the best times of the year. Take a little bit of a right turn here. One of the best times of the year, March Madness. The NCAA Division I basketball tournament, which ultimately crowns a national champion. Much as I hate to admit it, um, it looks like the Kentucky Wildcats will be the odds-on favorite. Not that anybody cares, BJ. Currently sitting at 27 and 0, they seem to get stronger as the season progresses. They they have as good a shot as any team in recent history to run the table, to go undefeated all the way to the national championship. And now some of you think, yeah, but by talking about it, you've just hexed them. I hope so. If only I believed in hexes. Simple yes or no. Just can anyone, simple yes or no, can anyone remember the last time a team went undefeated in the men's national championship? Can you remember, can you remember that? Who was it? Indiana Hoosiers. When was it? Ooh, got a couple guys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two of you, that's impressive. 1976, who was the coach? Bobby Knight, again, not that anybody cares. Can anybody name a player on the team? You guys need to get out more. <laughs> okay, uh, besides like these two, uh, there was Bobby Wilkerson, Tom Abernathy. Undoubtedly the star, however, was Scott May. It is kind of interesting. Uh, some of us could vaguely remember there was a team, and maybe we could remember the coach. But most of us, most of us, I had to look it up, could not remember the individual players. And, and yet I'm going to suggest to you this morning that it took a team of play, a team to win. As I recall, I was only 16 at the time. As I recall, um, Bobby Knight did not score a single basket that entire season. It, it took the team. Uh, on the floor to win. In fact, I would suggest if that particular team sat down on the sidelines to watch their coach play, they probably would not have won. Might have been able to see someone throw a chair. <laughs> Next month, if the Wildcats, you know, if they sat down, we can only hope, and watched Calipari, you know, the guy who had hip replacement surgery last year, take the floor, again, we can only hope, he could, could be one of the brightest minds in college basketball. He could know all of the plays, the X's and O's, <coughs> all kinds of basketball rules and doctrine. But if the team did not play, they'd lose. I'll go further. Let's put Coach Calipari, Coach K, Coach Calhoun, Coach Izzo, saving the best for last, Coach Williams, 
Let's put them together on the floor. If I didn't name yours, sorry. Those are some of the best minds in college basketball. Let's put them on the floor against a mid-level team outside the top 20. And they would lose miserably, the, the coaches. You see, it takes a team to play. And all of the supposed brilliance of those coaches, everything that they know, here's the point, they can't, they can't do it all. They're, they're not even supposed to. It's not why they were hired. It's not their job. It takes the team, a point guard, a shooting guard, a couple of forward, center, however you set up your offense. And actually, to be successful, it takes a little bit more than that. It, it does take some, some coaches to run some practices and call the plays and keep them from playing PlayStation all the time. It takes um, ball boys and referees. It takes score and time keepers. It takes equipment managers. It takes um, somebody to set up the team schedule. It takes someone to drive the bus. It takes someone to, you know, to wipe up the sweat when they tumble to the floor. How'd you like that job? It takes somebody to hand out the Gatorade. It takes somebody to open the gym, turn on the heat, and to sweep the floor. So actually, if you, if you stop and think about it, there's only really one thing that is not needed. It really doesn't need all of the people up in the stands. Really. You know, the, the ones who cheer and criticize, the ones who hoot and holler or moan and groan. Uh, okay, I, I, I guess fans do pay the tickets to, to put butts in the seat so that they can pay the coaches and to keep the lights on. But, but really, who, who, who plays and who wins? It's kind of interesting to think about it. The camera then will scan the seats. The fans go wild, you know, like it's about them. They hold up their shirts and their one finger screaming, we're number one. Couldn't resist that one. <laughs> I mean, really? You're, you're number one? You didn't even play. Okay, you paid for a seat, and you sat and you watched, because that's what spectators do. Maybe order a hot dog, have a beer later, while they wolf down some chicken wings. <laughs> they might talk about how well the coach or the team did or did not do, but that's really all spectators do. I, I, I guess that's why we've kind of invented this thing in football called the 12th man, <laughs> because we've got to give ourselves some credit. We, we, we've taken a little break from our study in First Timothy to talk about the church. It's not a building, e even though that's what a lot of people think this four-week series has been about, been about building, I want you to understand that this has never, ever been about a building. That would be like driving by Cameron Indoor or the Dean Dome and saying, oh, look, there's the Blue Devils or there's the Tar Heels. No, it isn't. It's where they play. Drive by here again on Friday afternoon, see, the, there's the church. No, it isn't. It's not, we're not building a church out, out front. 
building where the church meets. We talked about, we talked about going to church. It refers to this Sunday morning gathering. I even t- pretty regularly talk to my kids on Sunday afternoon. That's one question. Did you go to church today? Kind of like, did you go to the game? Did you sit and watch? Lots of confusion about what the church is and further what the church does. Started a couple of weeks ago then. Um, uh, uh, Michael gave my series a title. I didn't have that, A Biblical Identity of the Church. That's, that's pretty good, Michael. Thank you. Started talking about the, uh, the, the, the church. Started with the question, what is the church? What is it? We found that the church, obviously also called the, the bride of Christ and the body of Christ, is not a building at all. And it is not even necessarily the Sunday morning worship service, okay? Okay, the church assembles, it, it, it gathers. Now we found rather that the church is, is, the, is the people, is a group of believers in Jesus who have been called out by God through the gospel to fulfill a certain purpose, to complete a mission. And what is the mission? Well, we talked about that last week. Like half of you were here last week. Lots of confusion about what the church, what the mission is. There, there are, you see, there are a lot of things, in fact, a lot of good things, even biblical things that we can, we can get involved in as a church. We can get involved in as a group of believers. We can do lots of really good things like social justice, you know, focusing on the poor, the disadvantaged, the oppressed, and the marginalized. That's what a lot of voices are calling us to do today. It's the problem with you church people. You don't do anything about the plight of of poor people. And so the church, we can build hospitals and orphanages, and we do. We can fight poverty and hunger and sex trafficking, and we do. And we can dig wells and provide clean drinking water, and, and we do. And we can do all of those really, really good things. But here's my question. Are, are they the mission? We've got to be careful that we do not, as we do these good things, and we should, we keep the mission before us. We're not distracted. You see, we found last week, um, that the mission of the church, very simply and very clearly, is to make disciples. It's our job. And that, by the way, let me just add, is a little bit more than evangelism. You see, the, the charge, I think, rightly leveled against the church is all you guys care about is getting people saved. All right? You don't care about whether they're hungry or thirsty or, or, or poor or diseased. You care about that. You only care about the plight of people just... Get in a pray a prayer, that hit and run evangelism, and then move on. Uh, okay. We, but we do understand that seeing people come to faith in, in Christ is necessary, but it is also just the beginning. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 said we, and this is Jesus talking, our job, the mission is make disciples, and we do that by going and baptizing and teaching. So that is... As you go, wherever you go, whatever you do, even if you choose to alleviate suffering, good thing, I like that, that's that's a good thing, I want to help you. 
We do it in the name of Jesus, and we take the gospel with us. I want to be very, very clear. Giving a person a glass of clean water to drink has never saved their soul. And it never will. It's a good thing to do. But in the end, if that's all we do is give them food to eat and water to drink, and if that's all that we do in the end, it is ultimately meaningless. And we must take the gospel. And then when people believe the good news, we baptize them as an expression of their faith in Christ. So it is true that the mission of the church is to take the gospel with us wherever we go, whatever we do, we want to see people trust in Christ. So when people criticize us, and sometimes rightly, but when they criticize us and say all you Christians care about is the gospel, we should respond, respond that's not exactly true, that's not, the, that's not the only thing we care about, however, it is the most important thing that we care about, and it informs everything that we do. Mission goes further. You see, when they believe, and we see them baptized, we then begin what is really a lifelong, joy-filled process of seeing them become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So there is a sense in which to fulfill the Great Commission, that Jesus didn't call that, we call that the Great Commission, and in order to complete the mission, we are always engaged in becoming and multiplying ourselves as fully devoted followers of Christ. That sounds a little bit familiar. You see, that's our mission statement. All we did is take the mission, put it in our own words. We are called by the grace of God for the glory of God to become ourselves and to multiply ourselves as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So there you go. So that's the mission, which leads to the next question. Okay, really cute, we are called, who's the we? Who is the we anyway? I mean, whose job is it to complete the mission? And you say, well, that's rather obvious. That's you, Scott, and the other pastors, and maybe some ministry leaders. That is, after all, what we pay you for. Another great area of confusion in the church. John Stott said, if the 16th century, and he was referring to the the Reformation of the 16th century recovered the priesthood of all believers. Perhaps the 20th and now the 21st century will recover the ministry of all believers. Let's go back to my opening illustration. Has the church, has the church become a spectator sport? Where we come, we fill some seats, we, we pay for the seats, right? Because we pass the plate. Uh, ours are baskets. And we pay for the seats through an offering. So, I mean, I, I guess somebody has to keep the heat on so that we can pay the professionals, we can pay the coaches, and they can do the job and they can complete the mission. Is, is, is that it? Then, having tipped God, we then go do whatever it is that we do. We go on our merry way. Is the mission, is this mission to be completed by coaches, the paid professionals, the very few who take the floor while spectators, spectators, fans, Jesus is number one, called members and attenders, sit and watch. 
occasionally applaud if we like it. Criticize if we don't. See if those emails coming. Do we? Do we? Do we engage together in a, in a mission, one with eternal consequences, where we all take the floor, if you will, and fulfill our individual God-given responsibilities? I'm going to suggest that we all have a part to play to complete the mission of making fully devoted followers of Christ, of making disciples. Christianity was never intended to be a spectator sport. Peter and Paul both made clear that we have all been gifted to serve. We have been called to complete the mission. No one is expected to sit and soak and sour. No one is expected to just sit and watch. Sunday morning is your Christian time clock. You just come and punch the clock We've all been gifted with different equally important gifts for the purpose of serving one another, of completing the mission. Whether it's coach, uh, playing point guard, handing out Gatorade, wiping up sweat, sweeping the floor, turning on the lights, and don't for a moment think, as I am referring to that analogy again that I'm talking about, what we do here for this one hour. We all have important responsibilities to play. So then let me suggest the definition of a disciple. If we are to be making disciples, right, that's our, that's our mission, it's our job description, that's our, if our mission, what is a disciple? It is someone, I'm suggesting, who has believed the gospel and is now intentionally and actively involved in a process of becoming themselves and multiplying themselves as fully devoted followers of Jesus in other words, it is someone who has believed and is now using their gifts to help others become believers and disciples and use their gifts to help others. Do you, do you, see, the, do you see it? It's been said this way, how do you know if you actually, um, if you're a disciple, how do you know if you're completing the, the mission, how do you know if you're making disciples? Very simple, just ask yourself this question, uh, do you have a, a disciple who's making disciples? Who's making disciples. That's what we want to do in this team, this church that we call Alliance, to intentionally, here's a vision for you, all right? I want, I want to see all of us intentionally engaged as believers according to our gifting to complete the mission. So what is, so what is your role on this, on this team? What, what are you doing? What way are you involved in the mission? Lots of different ways. I always get asked this question, well, does that have to be an official? No, it doesn't have to be an official minister of Alliance, but we've got to be living the gospel life in such a way that we are engaging people with it. What way are you involved in the mission? How are you using your gifts to see disciples made and, ma made and matured? And you cannot say, well, I come and I fill a seat, and I pay for it. I've got some money in. So this, is, this is one of the questions that has been asked of me quite 
regularly. Actually, starting with my wife when we started this thing. Because what's there's about? We just, Scott, very lovingly, she said, are we just building a bigger stadium to fill more seats? Good question. The answer is no. It, it is true we've grown, that we need more room for worship services. But, but I want to say to you that I'm, I'm, just one of the, I, I, I'm just one of the coaches, all right? If I can use that analogy. And this Sunday morning gathering, as important as it is, and I do believe that it's important, it's just part of being the church. Yes, we gather, and I believe this is a highlight of the week because we assemble. We gather as a church for worship and, and discipleship and fellowship. But it is just one hour. The, the team, the, the church, is only partially trained, equipped at, at this particular gathering. But, but, and so, so I believe this, this new building is, provides some more seats. Okay, we'll, we'll provide more opportunity for that. But that's just, that's just very part of it. And I'll talk more about this when we come to the end of our time together. I want to be clear. My job is not first to, to take the floor. It's not my job to shoot or rebound or run screens. My job, biblically speaking, is to prepare you to do that and see that you do it. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to take just a few minutes to look at a couple of passages. We're going to just read them. I'm just going to briefly comment on them. We're not going to do what we normally do. You can calm down since I've already been going for like 20 minutes. <laughs> my, my, my point is to show you that Everybody listen. My point is to show you that we are the we. We are to complete the mission. Ephesians 4, Paul has just told us, he's reminded us that Christ and his victory over sin and the forces of evil through the gospel, through his work on the cross, has ascended back to heaven. And in his return and triumphal procession, he paints this beautiful picture. He distributed, like they, they did in triumphal processions at that time, he distributed gifts to his people. Here's the question, to what end? Why did Jesus give gifts? Well, the gifts are to be used by the church to serve one another, to build the church toward unity and maturity, fully devoted followers to make disciples. It's the mission. That's why, that's why he gave you gifts. In fact, we read that he gave some gifted leaders um, to the church, namely apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, teachers, lots of discussion about that. Are there four or five-fold office here? Are the first two apostles and prophets, were those foundational with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone? Are the evangelists, are those missionaries, is that what we call missionaries today? And what about these pastors and teachers? Is that one person or two or what? Are they the teaching elders? Listen, I'm not going to get into all of that this morning. I'm simply going to su suggest this, that these are the coaches, okay? I want you to think of them in our analogy that we're going with this morning. I want you to think of them as coaches, the ones who direct, who oversee, who call the plays, who teach the X's and O's. It's my job, it's among many others, okay? It's not, a lot of us have this as a job. But please notice, uh, though, this is very important, they are not given to be celebrities, not given to be stars, they're not given to do the work. In fact, they can't do all of the work. 
be like trying to win a basketball game with just the coach on the floor while everyone sits in the stands, yells really loud. You can do it. No, we can't. These leaders rather had as their primary responsibility to equip the saints, God's people, to use their gifts to do the work of ministry like a coach under the direction of these ministry leaders, the work of ministry is then done. The making of disciples is completed. Look at it with me. I'll just read it. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16 say this. And he, that is Jesus, gave some as apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, for the equipping of four. Notice the number of prepositions here. For the equipping of the saints. Why they're here. For the works, okay, we equip the saints for the works of service to the, to the end that the body of Christ is built up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature, someone needed to teach Paul about run-on sentences, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. All right, look at look, From whom the whole body, okay, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every, go from whole to every, joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part this causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You see what he says here. He gave these coaches, all right, for the equipping of the saints for the works of service. So then he tells us what happens if the saints are equipped to do the work? What happens in completing the mission to make disciples. He, he tells us some good things in verses 12 and 13. I'll give it to you very quickly, all right? The church is going to be built up. That's a good thing. The, the church will attain unity, which is the thread that runs through this entire passage. If, if we do our work together, there will be unity. If we're just a bunch of spectators, we're going to be yelling at each other. We're number one. No, we no if we're all involved, we're going to build unity. The result then is the church will be matured. And that man there, I think, and I'm not going to get into all the technical aspects of this, but I think that the man there is talking about the body of Christ. We will together be matured. And then the church will become like Christ. You see, that's a fully devoted follower. It is a disciple that is seeking to become and multiply other disciples that ultimately grow to the stature of looking like Jesus. It's our mission. It makes perfect sense. If you're using your gifts, uh, God gave you for the common good, 1 Corinthians 12, serving one another. You go to Romans 12, whatever, lots of other places, helping one another, speaking the truth to one another, showing hospitality to one another, teaching one another, exhorting one another, admonishing one another, loving one another, giving to one another. Whatever your gift happens to be, if you use it for the care of others, the body will be built up, unity will be preserved, we will grow in knowledge, we will be like Jesus, the mission will be accomplished. Yeah. What if we don't? 
What if we just remain spectators? Just kind of show up, punch the time. What if we stay fans applauding the professionals? Good job, good sermon. Great songs are picked out, Pat. Then we are in danger of some negative things. Verse 14, result, we are no longer, it's what we want to avoid. We don't want to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by the wind of every wind of doctrine, trick of men, craftiness, and deceitful scheming. This is, this is negative motivation for serving one another, of using our gifts. As we serve one another, using our gifts to grow towards spiritual maturity, we will no longer be children characterized by immaturity and instability and openness to deceit. I want you to get that. Openness to deceit. Will you please look at the church of Jesus Christ today across our country where churches are filled with fans and little bitty babies being swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes out there. And so the latest and greatest is Zim Zomley. What's that? That's Bob Bell's newest thing. First, we're going to say there's no hell, and now we're going to talk about an energy force, zim-zum, that'll build relationships between people. We all people, what about, and Hez is sitting on Oprah's couch, what about uh, homosexuality? It's in your book on marriage. Why did you affirm it? Because we can't allow, you see, verses that were written 2,000 years ago, his answer to affect the way we think today. to be children, open to deceit. This is a direct contrast to the previous verse where we're supposed to grow to be a mature man. This just tells me something. I'm going to take just a little bit of a side here, okay? This, I'm going to throw this in, no extra charge. Every once in a while I hear people promote their doctrinal, theological ignorance as a spiritual merit badge. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really get into all of those things. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Jesus loves me, this I know, and that's all I know. That's all I really need to know. No, it isn't. A simple childlike faith does not mean a simple ignorant faith. Do not glory in ignorance. Seek to grow together. That's what this text says. In the knowledge of the Son of God, the unity of the objective faith of Christianity, this, you see, is the mission of making disciples. It sounds a little bit like teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Otherwise, tossed about by ways, doctrine, every doctrine, every gust of false teaching, every theological fad, caught up in the trickery of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. Instead, we get to verse 15, and it lists some further positive results. Instead of being misled by these, blown about by this false teaching, verse 15, we're speaking the truth in love. We're able to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Very interesting wording. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We speak truth in love. It's truth. And by doing so, we grow up into Christ. So Christ is not only who is the head. So Christ, everybody commenting on this verse, so Christ is not only the goal Christ-likeness, but he is the means to the goal. He's the head directing the body. So without wanting to sound trite, okay, in our analogy, Christ is actually the head coach. He's actually the one calling the plays. He's the one di directing the X's and the O's. 
as the whole church being fitted and held together. Again, theme of unity. It becomes so as every joint supplies its part, driving home the fact that we are all part of the body, different body parts, each with his own function. And we are supposed to be involved according to the proper working of each individual part. We don't all do the same thing. We each have our own responsibilities, our own gifts. We exercise those gifts to complete the mission. I'm just going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter um, 12. I'm just going to refer to that. 1 Corinthians 12, you can read that, verses 4 to 27. In fact, you can go on, just read to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, read the whole chapter. It talks about the fact that we have all been gifted to serve in the body of Christ. We are one body. Different body parts, but we are one body. And each has its own function. And you have been given a responsibility to serve in this local church. And God has gifted you to serve. And in as much as you do, the body functions well. And in as much as you don't, the body does not. Point Paul makes there is we've all been gifted to serve in the church so that the body may be unified, matured like Christ, so that the mission of making disciples may be completed. I don't know if you've ever thought of this before. I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought of the fact that the, the mission is to make disciples, and as you use your gifts in the body, you're completing a mission, the mission. We're making disciples. One last passage Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, another favorite one of mine, verses 10 and 11 say this. There you go. Good job. As each one, again, every believer, has received a special gift, employ it, use it in serving one another as good stewards. You see, you've been given something, you're supposed to do something with it as a steward. Which means you don't own it. It's been granted to you for the purpose of doing something with it. There's a stewardship. There's a responsibility. There comes a day of accounting. Guess what? We're going to talk about next week. We'll talk about stewardship and accountability. Stewards, good stewards, the manifold grace of God. Whoever. And then I think in verse 11, he breaks down all of the gifts into two categories. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. So which one do you have? Right? Whoever speaks, do it as one speaking the very utterances of God. Whoever serves, do it as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Speaking, serving, do it by God. So that, and here is the result. So here's the, here's the why. Why we do this? In all things, God may be glorified. You see, we are called by the grace of God for the glory of God. God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, just review the last th three weeks. Number one, we are the church. Number two, the mission of the church is to make disciples. Number three, we have all been gifted. We have all, we are the we, we have all been gifted to that end. And the, the end result is God is then glorified. So, in what way are you part of the team? question. In what way are you serving? Let me close with a couple of final thoughts. I'll do this very, very quickly. Um, as to why we are building a larger 
facility, how this is going to help us as a church complete this vision that I've just pointed out over the last mission and vision that I've just pointed out over the last three weeks. How is it going to help us make disciples? How is it going to help us all serve better within our, our gifting? As I mentioned earlier, we have grown. We do need more space for our worship services. Uh, we, we don't have to do that. We, we could have stayed uh, right in here. Uh, not a problem, but we would have had, I believe, limited room for further growth. Uh, and I believe that the Sunday gathering, this, this assembling is a very important time for us as a, a church, as followers of Jesus Christ. Okay? I, I believe as we are about the mission, seeing people come to faith in Christ and then discipled, we will continue to grow as we have. That is if we're involved in the mission. So as a leadership team, elders, ministry leaders, uh, we made the decision six years ago that we want to provide more space, more space in an auditorium, yes, um, where, where people can hear and grow, be equipped according to the timeless, eternal, and valuable truths of the Word of God. We think there's value in what we do during this time. But beyond that, but beyond that, that's just one part, maybe not even the most important part, beyond that. Frankly, I want you to know that we do not have needed space for the various ministries of our church. We don't. Most notably, we have no adult discipleship space. We, adult, get this, adult discipleship space. Um, I don't know if you've noticed as you watch, the children have taken over our building. Okay? We are, we are out of, of room even in children's classrooms. Youth rooms are packed. I would encourage you on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night to go to one of the... Actually, I would encourage you not to go. Um, you would not fit. Um, yes, the new building is going to provide some er new early childhood space, which is going to free up more children's discipleship space, children's discipleship space, and all that is going to take more people using their gifts to see our children exposed to the gospel and discipled in their newfound faith. But beyond that, again, I'm done. Um, we do need to address youth space. That will be coming. But we need some adult discipleship space. The new building is going to provide, we have partially built six large classrooms to be used for what we're going to call community groups. We're going to call them community groups. You're going to call them Sunday school classes. I know that. We will stay in two services, which means we will be able to double those six spaces to 12 adult discipleship spaces so that people gifted to teach, gifted to teach beyond me and some of the other pastors, those gifted to show hospitality, those gifted to serve in any number of ways will be able to do so in a new building. I am convinced that one of our greatest needs is adult discipleship where we can break up this mass of people into smaller community groups, smaller communities where community and service and fellowship and service can happen, where we can be the church. And we can go from here as the church, having been better equipped, taking the gospel with us to see more people saved and disciple and added to our number. And then they can go out and they can take the gospel with them. And we get to people saved and discipled. And we can just keep on doing this until Jesus comes. Let me be clear. I am not interested. I am, I am not interested in just building a larger auditorium so 
more people can come and have a seat. So the more people can come and cheer or, or criticize. The end of all that we are doing is so that we can all intentionally and actively be involved in making disciples for the glory of God. Stand for prayer. Um, Father, I, I think it's been important to spend these weeks, one week to go, talking about the church. And by that, we don't mean a building. A building's a tool to serve the church. It's, it's a tool. We believe it's a good tool, and we believe that it will enhance ministry. That's all. That's all we believe. But my belief, I, biblical, I believe, belief, the church is a people. The mission is to make disciples, and the mission is for all of us. And as we passionately pursue that mission, you will receive great glory. And there is a day of accounting day of reckoning coming. And so help us to be a good, faithful church and help us 